Take your Bible, let's go to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah and chapter 40. I'm going to read a couple of verses, starting in verse 6, and then keep your Bible handy. We'll look at several other verses in this chapter in just a moment. But we'll start with verse 6, and I'll read down to verse 9. Isaiah chapter 40, and beginning with verse 6. The voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold your God. When I was 10 years old, I was riding in the car with my parents and my sister. My dad was driving. My mom was in the front seat. My sister and I in the back. We were driving down Main Street of Watertown, Wisconsin. We were stopped at a stop and go light. And as I peered over the front seat to the car directly in front of us, I saw a bumper sticker. That bumper sticker is forever etched in my mind. It was an ugly green bumper sticker with black letters. had three words. God is dead. God is dead. From that point on, through my teen years in those early 1960s, I saw that bumper sticker, it seemed everywhere. It seemed every day of my life I would see that bumper sticker, God is dead. Later in life, I realized that that philosophy had come from a man named Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche was the German philosopher who was the chief counsel to Adolf Hitler during World War II. And Nietzsche, if you study his life, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, but as you study his life, he had determined that God had died. And when God died, all value, all morals, all right, all absolutes died with him. And we see that philosophy lived out today in much of our culture. God is dead. Atheism continues to rise. Church attendance continues to decline. The names God and Jesus Christ are still popular curse words, but those names are banned from the public marketplace, the school classroom, the court of public opinion. It seems to be politically incorrect to talk about Jesus Christ and the Word of God. But lest we get off on that tangent this morning, let me ask this, how alive is God in your life? While there are many today that would say God doesn't exist or God has no impact in my life, what about us? 
did you talk to him this week? Did you allow him to talk to you? Did you think about him? Did you mention him to anyone else? How alive is God? If I gave you a piece of paper and a writing instrument and I asked you to write down a definition of God, how would you define him? How would you define God? Now, when you get that done, ask yourself this question. Does God believe in my God? Because if you go out on the streets of Gilbert or anywhere in Phoenix in general this morning and you were to ask people on the streets, who is God? You'd get a variety of answers, right? I think we know that. You'd get a whole variety of answers to that question and people would have various opinions. But does God believe in our God? And I think the reason we've gotten away from a proper definition of God is because we've gotten away from His Word. Because the only place that defines God is the Word of God. God's not being defined on CNN. God's not being defined in the Wall Street Journal. God's not being defined in a video game someplace you can buy and play. God is found in His Word. And Isaiah said to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this Word, it is because there's no light in them. In other words, if we don't get answers to our spiritual questions from the Bible, we don't have the right answer. Jeremiah 8 and verse 9 says they are, the wise men are dismayed and taken. Lo, they've rejected the word of the Lord, and what wisdom is in them? There is no wisdom apart from the word of God. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, you do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. So who is God? Well, Isaiah 40 is a wonderful account which defines our God for us. And there are three major components of God found in this chapter. First of all, we see that God is above all. Now let me read a little bit. You follow along if you like or just listen. I'll try to read with some interpretation. But notice starting in verse number 12. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And meted out heaven with a span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing. They are counted him less than nothing and vanity. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation, chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh in him a cunning workman that, uh, to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? 
Have you not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their hosts by number? He calleth them all by names by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. As we try to define God, we take things that we see around us, and we say, well, it's like that. But God created all these things. God spoke them into existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. In six days, Exodus 20, 11 says, the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Job said, I know it is so of a truth, but how can a man be just with God? If he contend with him, he cannot answer him one in a thousand. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? which removeth the mountains and they know not, which overturneth them in his anger, which shaketh the earth out of her place and the pillars thereof tremble, which calleth Arcturus and Orion and Pleiades and the chambers of the south, which doeth great things past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. In Job 12 and verse 7, Ask now the beasts and they'll tell thee. Speak to the earth, it'll teach thee. The fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee, yea, who knoweth not that in all these the hand of the Lord hath this, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah is praying. And in verse 2, she says, there's none holy as the Lord, for there's none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy go out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him are actions weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken. They that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread. And they that were hungry ceased. For the barren hath borne seven. And she that hath many children is waxed feeble. For the Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up again. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar out of the dunghill to set them among princes that they may inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. He has set worlds upon them. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them until they be destroyed. For by strength shall no man prevail. God is above all. You know, the more we think of ourselves, the smaller God gets. But the more you and I focus on how great God is, we become pretty small. He created all. He's above all. Our, um, our solar system is 6 billion miles across. 6 billion. The galaxy that we live in is called the Milky Way. Now, no one knows where it got that name. I think it was when the cow jumped over the moon. But, but anyway, 
the Milky Way galaxy, they tell us in science that if you were able to stand back in our universe and look at the Milky Way from a distance, it would look like a giant bowl, a giant dish. Now, if you could get on one end of this galaxy called the Milky Way and you could travel at the speed of light, that's 186,282 miles per second. That's moving. If you could travel at the speed of light, 186,282 miles per second, it would take you 100,000 years to cross this galaxy called the Milky Way. There are 40 sextillion solar systems known to man. The Earth is 25,000 miles in circumference. It's 25,000 miles around the planet. The Sun is 1,300,000 times bigger than the Earth. The next nearest star to us after the Sun is 26 trillion miles away. The supernova recently discovered has 10 septillion. That, we're getting to the big numbers now. That's a 10 with 24 zeros after it. The supernova has 10 septillion times more energy in it than the hydrogen bomb. You see why David walked out one night and he said, The heavens declare the glory of God? The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their lines go out to the ends of the earth, their words to the ends of the world. He's a great God. He's the living God. He's an everlasting King. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the sides of the north, the city of that great King. God is above all. Did you notice what he said about the nations in verse 15? He says the nations are as a drop of a bucket, counted as the small dust of the balance. In Bible days, they used a balance scale for their weights and measurements. If you went to the market and you needed a pound of flour, the merchant would get a bag of flour, he would get out his scale, and on one side of the scale he would place a weight. He would place a one-pound weight if he was honest. That's why God says in Proverbs, divers weights, various weights are an abomination unto the Lord. In other words, there were merchants who had, you came in and said, I want a pound of flour. They'd say, okay, I don't like you. So he'd get a 15-ounce weight and put it on there. He would cheat you by an ounce. That's why God said, that's not right. It's an abomination to me. God, God didn't like people that ripped somebody else off. So, so they put a weight over here on this side, and then on the other side of the scale, they would start pouring the flour. And once the balance scale was level, you knew you had a, a pound of flour. Okay. Now, in the Bible days, if a merchant was honest, and there were those that were crooked, that's why God talked about divers' weights. So you didn't know if you could trust this guy or not. So a merchant who was honest, before he'd place anything on that scale, he'd get the scale out, but before he put anything in the plates, he would take out a cloth and he would wipe the dust off of those plates. 
Now, dust doesn't weigh anything. But it was symbolic of the fact he was being honest. He was saying to you, I'm, I'm giving you an honest measurement here. I'm making sure there's nothing else on this scale except your one pound weight and your pound of flour. He was symbolizing his honesty. And God uses that illustration to say the nations before me are like nothing. They're like the dust of the balance. Look at verse 17. He says, all nations before him are as nothing. They are counted him less than nothing. God says, take all the nations of the world, take the superpowers, the the United States, China, Russia, all their military muscle, all their resources, all their intelligence, put them over here. Take the medium-sized nations, the little bitty nations, put them all over here with all of their resources. Put them over here on this side of the scale and then put me over here on this other side of the scale and next to me, they're below zero. Less than nothing. So where does that put me? Well, verse 22, he said, the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. We're not as big as we think. God is above all. But notice, secondly, God is aware of all. He's aware of all. When you think about God, and especially the big things, of God, the magnificent things, the things that are kind of mind-blowing, that kind of, kind of just take us out of our realm of understanding. You think about God in that way, and then you think about yourself, and you're thinking, well, God doesn't care about me. I mean, why would a creator God, a God above all of this, why would he worry about me? I mean, he doesn't care about my aches and pains. He doesn't care about my worries. He doesn't care about my needs. I mean, God couldn't possibly take time to listen to my prayer. I mean, God's got way too much on his plate to to be thinking about me. But you know what? We're wrong. Because look at verse 27. He says, Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There's no searching of his understanding. God is aware of all. He's aware of all. Um, When you think about creation, it's fun to think about the big things. I I love thinking about these things that just kind of blow you away. But when you think about creation, you also have to think about the details of that creation. The atom is that which makes up matter, not that atom, the A-T-O-M, okay? The atom is that which makes up matter, right? Now, scientists tell me that an atom is so small, you can't even see it under a microscope. In fact, I'm told that if you take 100,000 atoms and line them up in a single file line, the distance of 100,000 atoms next to each other in a single file line, would cross a human hair. And yet inside each one of those tiny little atoms is at least a proton, a neutron, and an electron. Guess who put them there? God. Our Earth is tilted on its axes. Whenever you see a globe, it's always tilted on its axes. The pastor's office last week where I was preaching, they had, he, had a, he, had a, he had a globe on his, on, his, on his side desk there. 
and uh, it was on this, on this stand, and it was, it was tilted. You always see a globe, it's tilted. Do you know they tell us that our earth is tilted at an exact degree of angle in space? In fact, I'm told that if our earth was tilted just one degree, one direction, we'd all freeze to death. If it was tilted just one degree the other direction, we'd all burn up. So our earth is tilted at this exact degree of angle in space so that life can inhabit this planet we call the earth. Now, that, that globe in Pastor's office last week, it was on a stand. You can go up to it, give it a spin, watch the countries go around. It's kind of fun to do. And, and it stays at that tilt because the stand is holding it there at that angle. But Job 26.7 says, He stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. <laughs> so our earth is tilted at this exact degree of angle, yet it's hanging on nothing. And as your mind tries to comprehend that, realize also, not only is it tilted at an exact degree of angle, hanging on nothing, but it's spinning every 24 hours. Exactly once every 24 hours. And then as you think about the fact it's, it's, it's hanging on, a, on an exact angle, hanging on nothing, spinning every 24 hours, it's also revolving around the sun. Details. Details. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them doth not fall to the ground without your heavenly Father. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Did you know that God will attend every funeral of every bird that dies today in this world? There were a lot of them on the road as I drove here from Seattle. A lot of them. And God was at every funeral. He didn't miss a one. Every hair on your head has a number. That's an amazing fact. God doesn't just know how many hairs are in my head. He has them all numbered. Every, every hair on top of my head, every eyelash hair, every eyebrow hair, every whisker hair, God has a number on it. And you don't think God knows your prayer request? You think God doesn't care about your trial? You, you think God doesn't, doesn't concern himself about your need today? Details. Our body has 203 bones. We have 600 muscles in our body. Some of them we find when we take down the Christmas tree lights. <laughs> we find those muscles. Uh, we have 970 miles of blood vessels running through our body, taking nutrients, oxygen, water to the various tissues so that we're healthy. We have, we have 600 million air cells that take air into our lungs as we breathe. We have 10 million nerves in our body. That's why some of you have to drink coffee in the morning. That's why some kids wiggle during church. Don't be too hard on them. they got 10 million nerves in there trying to get out. We have, we have, we have over 4,000 taste buds on our tongues so that we can discern between bitter and sweet and sour and so on. We have 10,000 hairs inside each one of our ears. This ought to be an encouragement to some of you. You know, you get, get a, little, a little rough up there, you know. Your wife looks like uh, she married you for the waves. Now all that's left is the beach. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> some guy said, this is not a bald spot. It's a solar panel. And <laughs> maybe that'll work for you. The truth is, you got 10,000 hairs inside each one of your ears. And I'm told that if just one of those little hairs becomes damaged, your hearing's impaired. 
We have 3,500 sweat tubes for every square inch of skin on our body. Now, now, young people, file that one. File that one away, because when you start dating, the first date, it has these awkward periods of silence. You know, you run out of things to say, and then there's just this, this awkward silence. And so you've got to remember facts. You've got you you to come up with something to talk about. So, so when you get to that point, just look over and say, those are the most beautiful sweat tubes I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but you know what? Those sweat tubes are what give our skin air conditioning. It allows us to adapt to different climates and temperatures and so on. Uh, we, 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 have, we, we breathe in 4,200 gallons of air every day. Our heart beats 2,400 times every hour and pumps 12 tons of blood through our body every day. And you know what? You don't have to worry about it. You don't get up in the morning and say, oh, i got to breathe, i got to breathe, i got to breathe, i got to breathe. No, you just, you just live and enjoy it all because of Him. Details. Details. And you know what? God knows where we're hurting today. God knows inward sin in our life today. God knows the things that may be hidden to anyone else. Maybe we've never shared. Sometimes we say, I have an unspoken prayer request. You know what? God knows those. He's aware of those. Sometimes we don't share our difficulties perhaps with someone else, but God is aware. He's aware of all. But then I love these last three verses. Because not only is a God above all and aware of all, but notice God is able to do all. Look at verse 29. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Wow. I like what Jeremiah said, Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thy stretched out arm, and there's nothing too hard for thee. Do you believe that? Nothing too hard for the Lord. <laughs> you know, God told Abraham when he was 99 years old, he said, Abraham, you're going to have a son. <laughs> Sarah was 90, Abraham's 99. And Abraham laughed. They laughed. They said, God. I mean, I know you promised us a son. That was a long time ago, but Lord, we're old. The words they use were, we're well stricken in age. The Bible says there in Genesis 18, we're past the age of bearing children. In other words, biologically, it was impossible. But I love verse 14 of Genesis 18. God said to them in response to their laughter, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I love Genesis 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken, and Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son at the set time of which God had spoken to him. It was impossible to man, but not impossible to God, for with God all things are possible. Listen, I don't know what your prayer request is this morning. I don't know what your need is today. I don't know, maybe you think, well, I just don't see it ever happening. Listen, nothing's impossible to God. In fact, I think God has a real sense of humor. Because Abraham is 99 when Isaac is born. When Sarah dies in Genesis 21, late 21, 
Isaac is 40 years old. So if Isaac is 40 when Sarah dies, then Abraham would be 139. Because he's 99 plus 30, if my or 40, my math is correct, 139. Okay, so he's 139. And at that point, Abraham realizes Isaac needs a wife. Isaac is kind of discouraged when Sarah dies, his mother. And, and, and so Abraham, Genesis 24, beautiful love story. Abraham sends his servant to go find Rebekah. Remember that story? Great story in the Bible. It's a long story, 67 verses. And the last verse, it says, they bring back Rebekah. Of course, it's immediate love. It's love at first sight. And, 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 and they're married. And the Bible says in the last verse, Isaac is comforted upon the death of his mom. He's, de- he's comforted on the death of Sarah. So here's Abraham now. He's 139. Isaac is now married. Sarah has been buried. And then we go to chapter 25. And the first verse says, Abraham got remarried. At 139, he gets remarried. And then you read three more verses, he has six kids. Boy, you talk about a sense of humor. I mean, at 99, Abraham said, we're too old, we're well-stricken age, can't have a son. God says, watch what I can do. It's amazing. God's able to do all. Listen, you may be here this morning, you think, I can't get saved. I just can't get saved. I mean, I, I, I've done too many wicked things, or why would God want me? When I met my father-in-law, I started dating my wife and went to visit her, and her dad wasn't saved. And, and uh, he was a kind man. He was a, a, a moral man. He was a hardworking man. But my father-in-law uh, grew up in depression years, uh, never went to school much, third grade. That was about it. At age 16, he lied about his age and joined the, joined the Army. Went to CC camp, ended up in the South Pacific in World War II. And uh, fought World War II, came back to Rockford, Illinois, got a job in a foundry fixing these big uh, hammers. My father-in-law lived to be 95. He lived with us the last seven and a half years of his life. My father-in-law never signed his name one time. He never signed a check his entire life. He never wrote his name one time. In fact, he didn't even know what his name was. He went by ML. In the army, they said, you got to have a name. He said, I, I'm ML. They said, well, that's not a name. Those are initials. What's your name? He said, I don't know. They said, well, you can have Marvin or Melvin. What do you want? He said, I'll take Melvin. <laughs> he had no idea. He, he couldn't read or write. He could not read or write when he died. And my father-in-law would tell, would tell us, we'd, we'd try to get him to come to church. Oh, they don't want you. They don't want you. Oh, Dad, God loves you. He wants to save you. Oh, he doesn't care about you. And you might be here today and think, nobody cares about me. God doesn't care about me. I'm so thankful that at the age of 62, my father-in-law put his faith and trust in Christ. And he'd go to church every time the doors were open. And he couldn't read the hymnal. He couldn't read the Bible, but he'd listen to you read it. He'd listen to others sing, and he learned some songs, and he learned some truth about the Bible, and God blessed his life. I'm telling you something. You may be here today think, well, God can't save me. Listen, he's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Do you realize that if you're not saved, God's in heaven right now praying for you to be saved? He's calling your name. 
He wants you to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You can be saved. Christian, you may think, well, there's some sins I just can't get victory over. I mean, I just, I just give in to the temptation every time. I'm just weak, I guess, and I just got, I got some, some vulnerability to me, and there's no way I can get victory over this habit. There's just no, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. God says there is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. You may be a young person here today saying, well, I can't serve God. I mean, I don't have any, I can't play a violin. I can't, I can't sing. I, 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 I can't preach. I can't do any of that stuff. I, I have no ability. I, why would God want me to serve Him? I, I, there's no sense in me thinking about going to a Bible college or being a missionary someday or something like that. Listen, faithful is He that calleth you who also will do it. Listen, you take the steps in, in your life that God wants you to take. God will take care of the rest. Well, God guides you. He enables you. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. See, we limit God by our unbelief. We limit God by our doubts and fears. Listen, trust God. Listen, we have a great God this morning. He's above all. He's aware of all. He's able to do all. So when are we going to start trusting Him? When are we going to start living for Him? When are we going to start believing His Word and follow Him? Because one day we're going to meet him. And God warns us in Amos 4.12, prepare to meet thy God. You know what life is? You know what life is? Life is our opportunity to prepare to meet God. That's all it is. That's all life is. It's our opportunity, whether it be 50 years, 15 years, whether it be 95 years, it's our opportunity to prepare to meet Him, and then eternity begins. And it's not that life is so short, it's that eternity is so long. Are you prepared to meet this God? We will meet Him. Oh, you want to meet Him as a child of God. You want to meet Him saved. You want to meet Him as a believer. And Christian, you want to meet Him living for Him. He's a great God. And however we define Him falls short, I'm afraid, of who He really is. Let's get to know Him this week. And let's trust Him. Let's believe Him. Let's follow Him.